Before the RouterFlex podcast episode of the day, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. I've been out in the sun lately, so I got some. It looks good. It some, looks I good got, on you. I, 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 some, thought, I thought that was like, blush, blush you put on. <laughs> I had my makeup artist in earlier, touching me up a little. I got I to gotta look younger, man. Uh, you know, I'm, I'll be 54 this summer. I think you're a little you're bit You're the same age as me. Same age. Okay. You guys so are I'm 53. Age. I'll be 54 this summer. When's your birthday? August. August. Mine's August. July, so I'm older. <laughs> I'm old. Oh, yeah, you're old. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha. Uh, you graduated high school, 85? 1985. Wow, bro. What do you, what, we had some good times in the 80s, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although I think the 90s were better for me. I was, uh, I was pretty immature. I didn't really have much figured out. And of course, by the time you hit your 20s, I mean, you're, uh, yeah, by the time you hit your 20s, you think you got the world figured out. Right? <laughs> like you could write the book mm-hmm, and then totally. you get to your forties and then you're like, uh, maybe I don't have this figured out. <laughs> and then, and then by the fifties, you don't even care. Right. <laughs> you're not trying to figure it out anymore. Uh, we're already roll. We're rolling then Ed Baldwin on the Rider flex podcast. Ed, thank you so much for being on. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate that as well. So let's get, let's do the background story. Are you an Iowa kid? What was what? Give us give us some family, siblings, mom, dad, growing up. Give us a little bit. Sure. One one of one of the proudest Iowa folk you'll ever meet. Um, a mentor once said that one of the most appealing traits anybody can have is to be proud of where they're from, and I definitely qualify under on that basis. Um, awesome. So small town in Iowa, which I know is duplication because they're all small towns in Iowa. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, grew up in northeastern Iowa, a town called Old Wine, Iowa. Um, one of uh, three three sons from my mom and dad. Uh-huh. Big family. Uh, both grandma and grandpa for on both sides of the family were within a few blocks of me, and I had cousins across the street and down the street. So sixty two first cousins, sixty of them are boys. Wow! Holy cow! Are they yeah. all still in town? Everybody still living? <laughs> <laughs> no, they say I was a great place to be from. A lot of us, uh, you know, gotcha. not much to keep you, not much to keep us there. But uh, no, big family and very Mayberry like uh, upbringing. Uh, very fortunate, you know. My dad was a blue collar guy, worked hard for a living. Uh, we 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 wanted lots of stuff, but we didn't need anything. And uh, so I I, I I I tried to raise my kids in the same in the same way. Now, how about your mom, homemaker, or did she have a profession as well? Yeah, so uh, homemaker for raising the raising her boys, and then once uh, my youngest went, or my youngest uh, brother went into college, she went back to school to be a teacher, oh, cool. and got a teaching degree, and uh, right. and then a secretary at the church as well. So, oh, okay, so can, okay, it's pretty conservative religious family background. So did you get in trouble for partying and these <laughs> things? That wasn't uh, that was not, uh, bad news at your house. <laughs> yeah, I. I, I grew up in a, in Baptist, a Baptist and it was church was not an option. So if it wasn't my mom or dad kicking me out of bed on Sunday morning, it was my aunt or my uncle or my grandma or my grandpa. And 
Uh, needless to say, I never had to ask for a ride to church. <laughs> gotcha. What'd your dad do for a living? If you don't mind me, I just said blue collar. What did he do? Yeah, he was a spot welder for a company called Donaldson's and uh, up in Northeastern Iowa, everything revolves around John Deere because Waterloo has a big John Deere plant and uh, okay. he welded uh, air filters that ended up going on John Deere tractors. So, oh, all right. Very just a few blocks like from where I grew up. Okay. Are they still alive? Still in Iowa? Uh, no, unfortunately not. They are, uh, they, they moved most of their operations to Mexico and dad rolled with the punches pretty agile and did some other odd jobs before he, he, re, he retired. So are your parents still there? Yep, definitely. Definitely. Okay. And, uh, right. so you go back home and see them from time to time. I hope I, I do. I do. And they come, they love to come out to Colorado as well. So, uh, Sure. Um, we don't have to twist their arm too much, but yeah, very close family, very close to my brothers and uh, my parents as well. And they're retired and enjoying their uh, leisure years. So um, awesome. Super. And, and how about your family now? Tell us about your wife and kids. Go for it. Yeah. So uh, married, married my uh, uh, the prom queen in, in my small town of Iowa. So we're both from really? Same, same town. She grew up on a pig farm seven miles east of where I grew up. And uh, she doesn't like me telling that story. <laughs> but uh, um, so, yeah, and uh, went to public university, went to the University of Iowa. And then um, within three weeks, I graduated from college, married uh, my wife and started a new job in San Francisco. Uh, all, all within three weeks, literally. Uh, April, uh, August 4th, August 12th, and August 19th. Was she, did she go to Iowa too? Did she go to school as well, your wife? No, she was a nanny in, in the Northeast. And, uh, and we kind of had did the long distance thing. And uh, when I got my job in San Francisco, uh, she said, well, I'm not going with you unless we're married. And so shocker, I, we got engaged and, <laughs> and uh, so I graduated from college and married her the next weekend. And the weekend after that, we, we loaded up the car and headed to San Francisco. Wow. San Francisco, small town, Iowa boy to San Francisco. Were you, you, were you like, I mean, you were just like, wow, this is a different world. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It's uh, and then I know it dates me um, and you know how old I am, but uh, I was there for the earthquake in 89. So, okay. That, that right. happened about three months after we landed in San Francisco. So needless to say, yeah, this Iowa kid was pretty shook pun intended. <laughs> oh, walk us through your, uh, Oh, by the way, kids, kids, I, I'm, I just real quick before we go. Yeah. yeah. How many kids you got now that, and I'm assuming they're grown. <laughs> yeah. I've got a daughter and two sons. Um, Haley mm -hmm. is almost 25 and is in Des Moines and back in Iowa and uh, then my two sons, I've got um, my, my middle, uh, my oldest boy is Alex, and he is 22. He's here in, in Denver, so we get to see him a great deal. And then my baby is uh, Luke, and he's 20, and he goes to school in eastern Iowa, but he's home for the summer. And uh, so we've got him around as well. Okay, so you're, you're pretty much empty nesters, kind of semi Kind of. They're not off the payroll just yet, but we're working on that. <laughs> well, are, are they refilling the toilet paper dispenser and like, you know, closing the lid on the toilet? Are they doing the basic things now? Uh, <laughs> they, they do the basic things. They do the things they have to do or they get instructed to do. Let's just say that. <laughs> My youngest boy is 
uh, 26, he was over here the other day for dinner or whatever. And he leaves and like five minutes later, my wife comes out of the restroom. It's like, I can tell Spencer's been here. The toilet lid is up. <laughs> <laughs> so she trained you quite a while ago. Yes, that's right. I've been fully trained. <laughs> oh man. Walk us through your career a little bit. Uh, give, give me a little overview here of your career. Uh, you know, before we get into the company that you're now a, a founder of, yeah, go for it. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a long and boring story. So I'll uh, I'll summarize. Um, okay. Thirty plus years in HR, uh, got a degree in HR. So um, I, I always get a little bit of a cringe when somebody says they fell into HR like it's a hole. Um, <laughs> it isn't a hole; it's a profession. So I actually consciously picked that I wanted to be in HR. Um, been in a lot of different industries, lots of different places small companies, big companies, public, private, worked for the largest agricultural cooperative in North America. Mm -hmm. And so really, really varied experience. Um, maybe a common thread that, that might be interesting to folks is that um, I typically reported to non-HR people and I was the liaison between the business and HR. Okay. And so I'm not a specialist. There's certainly recruiters that are a lot better recruiters than I am. Uh, benefits folks, comp folks that that are better in all of those areas than I am. Um, I'm truly a jack of all trades and a master none, and uh, and have, have always kind of served in that role. So um, I've worked overseas, lived and worked overseas. So my international experience is pretty robust, and the bulk of that has been in engineering construction. Um, for about most of the last 15 or so years, has been in the engineering construction space. But uh, yeah, I've, uh, I've really done a lot of different things in a lot of places. And now you're the uh, founder and partner at HRO Partners, right? Um, tell us a little bit about that. Give us a nice uh, three to five minute elevator pitch there. Go for it. Sure. Well, uh, in 2012, uh, early 2012, um, I was laid off from a corporate role that I was in. And I did what I think everybody did at that point, called myself a consultant and hung my shingle out and really did it without a lot of thought behind it and was really overwhelmed and blessed to have um, so many people reach out and said, Ed, I can't, I can't afford to hire you, but I need help with this. Can you help me with this? Mm -hmm. um, I really need help with that. I need somebody to come in and look at an HR function or something that we're doing and so based on that, I, I quickly got to a point where I couldn't do the work and continue to run the business and, and get more, more business. I took a class uh, with the Coffin Foundation in Kansas City uh, with the Center uh, for Entrepreneurship and mm -hmm. legitimized the business, I guess, by opening an LLC and, and getting a partner for the, for the business. And you know, what really opened my eyes after being in corporate roles, inside roles in, in companies was how many CEOs, owners, um, and just executives, what they know is that they need, a, they need good HR, but that's about the depth of their knowledge and understanding. <laughs> and so, so I, I ran into a lot of roles where people were coming to me and saying, hey, I know my HR team isn't fully functional. I know there are errors and issues and problems in that group, but I don't have the first, I don't know the first place to start. Maybe you can help. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so that is really what started the business is realizing there were a lot of people out there, mostly small businesses, a lot of startups, et cetera, where people were saying, hey, I know I've got problems in HR. I just don't know what those problems are. And I need somebody to come in and investigate that and then develop a priority list. Um, isn't, it, isn't it interesting? I think a lot of CEOs, from my, from my experience, think of HR in one of two ways. They either think oh, I need an HR person because I need a lots of I need to hire talent. I need somebody to help hire people, or they think of HR as a way to protect the company from getting sued and make sure all the you know the, the stuff's in place. So one of those two things, like hey, make sure we're fully staffed, and hey, make sure we don't get sued. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's a great way to put it because uh, you're right. A lot of times, the catalyst to needing an HR consultant or somebody in HR is we're getting sued. And it's really starting to get ugly. And so I need some guidance and some expertise. Maybe that's not a lawyer yet because it's not going to court, but we're going to keep it from going to court. Or just like you said, there's an empty seat at a really important table and they don't have the slightest idea how to go get the right person. And so they want HR to come in and, and help them find and identify that right person. So you're absolutely right. I think those are two of the biggest drivers. I guess the other one too is, you know, to a certain degree, somebody for the CEO to just talk to about, about personnel, right? The super confidential private conversations, you know, the CEO, uh, based on my experience, I've, I've ran a couple of $40 million companies myself. So I can tell you, it's a very lonely uh, position to be in at, at times. You, you can't really talk to your team about everything. Um, but the HR person is usually the one that you can go to with 99.9% of things, unless of course the business is failing and you're about to lay off the HR person too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, definitely just being that advocate and that confidant and, you know, my guidance and experience as an HR guy is that don't throw the book of HR at somebody when they want to just, open up and vent and share, you know, um, I, I have a tendency to want to immediately jump to, to helping them solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they don't want the problem to be solved. They just want somebody to talk to about it. Right. Um, and so, yeah, don't be too quick to jump when, when that door gets cracked open. Um, just do a lot of listening. I think that's the most important thing. Have you, you've probably had to train yourself to do that over the years, right? Just to, 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 to listen and not try to fix it right away. Correct. Correct. Yeah. My wife was probably who I learned that lesson from first, right? <laughs> she started talking to me about something. I'm like, oh, okay. I got the, I got the solution. And she's like, I didn't ask for the solution. I just wanted to talk to you about it. <laughs> I've actually gotten to the point in my, I've been married for 20 years now to Kim. Uh, I'll sometimes I'll say at the beginning, I'll just say, is this like, Am I good? Is this something I'm going to fix or do you want me to just listen? Can you just tell me ahead of time? <laughs> <laughs> You're a wise man. You're a wise man. Uh, it goes better. It goes better. Uh, so, you know, besides helping the CEO, besides being the sounding board there, you talk about the talent. You'd mentioned a little bit about talent. Um, are you amazed at how many organizations really don't have a talent acquisition strategy or a recruiting process, or they just don't have, 
things put in place and they're just kind of winging it and they're kind of like waiting till they're overwhelmed and short staffed and then they're rushing into hires. I mean, talk a little bit about some of the things you've seen and maybe apply a couple of pieces of advice around that. Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, you're absolutely right. Um, and sometimes you're surprised by the lack of process. And sometimes you're surprised by the way that what the way the process looks <laughs> like, you know, they tell you, this is the way we do it. And you say, yikes, uh, I don't know if that's the way I'd go about it. Um, so yeah, w- without, without question. And, you know, like most things or a lot of things in HR, it's driven by necessity. Mm. Um, and one of the biggest ways to be an advocate for the CEO is to let them know that sometimes the friends or the people that they know aren't the best for particular roles. <laughs> uh, you know, and you know, you know, just as well as I do, Steve, that when it comes to startups and small businesses, mm-hmm. um, it tends to be who I know. Right. And sometimes it's open in their eyes if they're going to hire, you know, John or Sue to be their CFO is to be able to say, well, here's some CFOs to stack them up against. And then they begin to realize that that person that they want to select doesn't have all the skills and the qualities that they need. And mm-hmm. so, um, but again, you have to be gentle about that, you know, especially if it's a brother or, or a sister or something like that. Cause I've, I've certainly dealt with those situations as well in small businesses. And so it's, it's really hard to, look a CEO in the eye and say, yeah, you shouldn't hire your sister for that job. Um, <laughs> th- that's a mistake. So you gotta be, you gotta be careful. There's a lot of landmines along the way, but you know, if you develop a strong process um, for the recruitment of any key role and perhaps it applies to more roles and you can consider it your recruitment process for all open roles, now you're really setting up and staging them for success before you get into a situation of trying to say to a particular applicant for a particular role. Well, I don't know if I'd go about it that. So setting up the process on the front end and, you know, the process from my perspective, and I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, I feel like, cause you're, you and your, your team over at RiderFlex are as good at all this stuff as anybody, but, um, complementing the interview process with other ways of looking and viewing at applicants and candidates is super important, I think, to, mm. to improving success. It's not just about being a good interviewer um, because candidates can get really good at interviewing and it doesn't make them great for the job. Right. That's so true. What are some of the biggest mistakes companies make in the selection process besides hiring friends and family? Let's, let's, let's narrow that down what are some of the biggest mistakes hiring managers make? Um, is it, is it rushing? Is it, is it not partnering with HR? I mean, what are some of the things you see commonly, uh, you know, common missteps? Sure. Sure. Um, I think there's trait bias. Um, and what I mean by that is one particular trait that they're looking for in the candidate mm-hmm. is Good becomes one. the only trait that they look for in the candidates and mm-hmm. they don't, they don't take a well-rounded view. And so as an example, if attention to detail is really important for an accounting position, that's mm-hmm. absolutely true. And that is really important, but it's not the only thing that's important. Um, and sometimes you look past 
other things that might create red flags because you're so honed in on this person has to have a strong attention to detail. So I think that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always a similarity bias. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to pick somebody who's not like you. Um, right. and, and so, you know, you tend to hire people that are out of the same mold and, and based on that, you end up creating blind spots in your organization. So I see that as something that, that, uh, is the case. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is also, um, uh, all the biases that come out conscious and unconscious from knowing somebody's background, uh, knowing where they came from, uh, their look, what they look like. Um, and uh, so you have to kind of guard against all that too. And that's a really challenging thing to do, by the way, is to, you know, if it's conscious bias, you can easily or more easily extract it. If it's unconscious bias, that's really challenging. Mm. Those are all, those are all good ones. The, the trait bias. Uh, I have not heard that before, or if I have, I haven't talked to anybody about it in a long time. That's a great point. Really great point. How about on the flip side? Let's talk about um, interviewing candidates uh, for a minute. By the way, I'm, I know we could do an hour podcast on every single one of these topics, right? But uh, two, two or three pieces of advice for people in the market um, interviewing for jobs, you know, tips around interviewing or preparing for the interview. Any Anything you want to share in particular? Um couple of things, uh, you know, you get this from just about any, any good recruiter in terms of their guidance going in, certainly, certainly know something about the organization and preferably something that isn't the, the headliner, uh, when you go to their website, the company (laughs) website, um, and, and, and have real questions as well. You know, don't ask the standard questions and certainly don't waste the interviewer's time with a question that you should be, you should have been able to research and find out to begin with. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, I'm surprised, uh, particularly with the generation that's so comfortable with technology, how many bad video interviews I've had. <laughs> right? Yeah, they're, they're just really bad. They, they, they can't connect. They don't connect. Um, and they wait until five minutes before the interview before they try to figure it out. Um, you know, that, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure when you got to be in a tech savvy role and you end up starting the interview seven or 10 minutes late because you haven't figured out how to click on the link and, and get set up. So that just, that comes as a real surprise to me and what is a pretty tech savvy, you know, population. Right. Uh, right. So uh, yeah, I think that's out there, you know, all the things of don't chase jobs, um, it's really easy, again, in a tech world to sit at a computer, apply for 40 jobs uh, over a you know, four-hour period, go into three or four different sites, and then turn off your computer and say, man, I'm, that's, that was productive. <laughs> yeah, don't kid yourself. Um, I think what you, you probably know the numbers better than I do, Steve, but what it's like a one in a hundred response rate from something other than a computer. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you have an online application, really hard to differentiate yourself in that way. Mm -hmm. So get out, interact with people, establish a connection within the company, 
find the organizations you want to work for and start developing those connections and those interactions, whether they have a job open or not. Um, because if you just go chase that job and you just submit your online resume, you're going to get a call one out of a hundred at best. <laughs> at best. I'm always amazed at how people just don't do their homework. They just don't even try really. I, we, we'll get emails here at RiderFlex and we're a recruiting firm, right? For a living. That's what we do for a living. Yeah. Place candidates, right? Someone will email the general email box, our info at riderflex.com. And it'll be something like, Hey, my name's Johnny and I'm looking for a job in Denver. Do you have anything? <laughs> I just, I'm like, what? I don't, how do you, <laughs> how do you even respond? Right. I don't even know how to respond to this. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You're just wasting time. Like, come on, check the careers page. Find somebody that works in the company. By the way, it's not hard to find my email address uh, or any of the recruiters that work for RiderFlex. I mean, follow up properly with the right messaging and the right, the right resume attached and send it to the right person. Just do a little bit of homework. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it may seem like a waste of time to reach out and connect with Steve Urban because you want to work for RiderFlex, whether they have a job open or not, but make it personal, you know, yes. share something about Steve that it, it, that tells him that you care and that you're, you're, you're invested, you're invested. In, in working to join RiderFlex. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, your, your response rate will go through the roof relative to the blind, casual, uneducated. Hey, Steve, I need a job. What do you got? <laughs> <laughs> I'm also, you know, I just interviewed this young lady the other day, Villanova graduate, you know, graduated top of her class, obviously super smart kid. I'm sure her IQ score is higher than mine, but her EQ score was just terrible. I, I you know, I, I talked to her and I thought to myself, how do these kids, how are they coming out of college and they don't even know how to interview? I mean, they don't even know how to prep, prep for the interview. I'm blown away by that, Ed. I don't know about you. Yeah, it's those, it's those you know, really basic, practical kind of connection-based things that, you know, they don't, no, nobody teaches. Uh, I guess yeah. you have to, you have to learn it. You know, I would characterize it. One of the most important traits we taught our kids is that when they meet anyone, whether it's an older person, it's a stranger, it's a younger person, is to look the person straight in the eye and say, hi, I'm Ed, it's very nice to meet you, Steve, and <laughs> shake their hand. Reach out and shake their hand. And Basic, basic. <laughs> basic and, I, and I said, you know what? That, that practice alone, when you get into a pinch, will give you the benefit of the doubt. And if you're looking at your shoes or looking away, you're disinterested, you don't extend your hand, you don't make eye contact or otherwise, mm -hmm. you don't get that benefit of the doubt. So um, you're right. I think there's basic kind of job search skills that aren't being taught in college. They aren't being taught in high school. They aren't being taught anywhere, Steve. And, and so, yeah, RiderFlex Rider has an uphill battle to get candidates ready for, uh, <laughs> for seasoned HR folks. 
you know, I had, uh, you know, as you know, we have our Riderflex podcast where we give a lot of daily tips on, uh, you know, career stuff and job interviewing. And I had somebody tell me, you know, one time I said, man, you know, a lot of your tips are just, you know, pretty, pretty basic stuff. And I said, yeah, I know. That's because I interview people all day long <laughs> and 80% of them don't do it. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's amazing how those basic things can truly differentiate you. Yes. They really can differentiate you. And uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. Like you said, we could talk all day long about that. How do you, when you're interviewing somebody, how do you measure work ethic or grit or persistence? Like, you know, how do you, how do you look for that? How, how do you do that as an HR professional when you're talking to a candidate? Sure. Sure. Um, well, the first thing that I try to do when I interview anyone is put them at ease. Mm. And um, I think that is probably the singular most important tip I can give to folks that are interviewing others is to put the person at ease. You know, I've come out of interviews where, uh, you know, candidates interviewed with four or five people and, uh, and, the manager will say, Hey, I thought it was great. And the two or three people that talked to said, I thought they were great. I thought they were great. I thought they were great. And I said, well, did they tell you that they really didn't want to go to work? And the only reason they were going to work or trying to find a job was because they got kicked out of their mom and dad's house. (laughs) And they'll say, how did you, how did you learn that? (laughs) Like who told you that? Right. (laughs) And but it's, it's amazing if you can, if you can put the candidate at ease, then you can really get to who the root of the, who the person is. Um, and, you know, in terms of, you know, grit and, and motivation and learning quickly and those, those kinds of traits that I think most people would consider to be, you know, admirable or, or wanted for any sort of a role. Um, the best predictor of, of future traits like that is past traits. So if you talk them through their background and why did you leave this role and what was your motivation? What were you looking for? Um, what was the best job you ever had? Why, what, why was it the best job you ever had? What was the worst job you ever had? Why? Um, and so I think, I think you can start to get at personal motivation drive some of these intangible traits that are really hard to measure. If you can put a person at ease, ask them about their background and, and, uh, and they'll open up and they'll share with you. You know, you touched a nerve right there. <clears throat> it's interesting. So at Riderflex, we have, we have a process where the recruiter will do phone interviews. The recruiter assigned to a search will do a phone interview. And then, and then often, depending on if it's a higher level position, the candidates will get pushed to a video interview round, which I quite often do myself. Um, and so many times I will, I will video interview the candidate and I will put them at ease. They'll get to talking about something they probably shouldn't talk about if they really want the job. And then the recruiter will call me and go, holy shit, like, how did you get them to talk about that? Like, how they, I can't believe that they didn't tell me any of that. To your point, Ed, and I think that's a great tip here for the listeners Seriously, if you're a hiring manager, if you interview people, it's great to have this, you know, checklist in front of you that that HR designed for you. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> HR 
it's great to have the checklist in front of you because you, you kind of need a reference list in case you get too far off track, but really just talk to the person, just, just have a warm, open, relaxed conversation where you put them at ease and, and things will come out uh, that, that are either going to solidify them as a candidate or are going to raise flags. I cannot tell you how many times that has come up where I, where I'm able to just get people to talk about stuff. And yeah. And then the recruiter will be like, Oh my God, I can't believe it. Right. Great, a key great, part, uh, yeah. Well, a key part of that I think is being authentic on your side of the table as well. Yeah. Um, and being, being willing to talk about the great things about your organization, which inevitably you have, but also be able to talk about the things that as an organization, we got to get better at. Mm. And, um, you know, it can't just all be upside because now you're not authentic. People don't believe that. That's just, mm -hmm. it sounds like promotional stuff. Right. And if you, if you expect the candidate to give you something other than just their promotional stuff, you've got to reciprocate in terms of that authenticity and be realistic about the pluses and, and the downsides of both the job and the organization. And I think that puts yourself in the best position to receive it in return. Great point, Ed. Great point. Thank you for sharing that. Yep. I yeah. totally agree. Totally agree. Let me um, ask you a little bit about HR in general these days compared to when we were young managers in the early 90s so so i so let's see i started interviewing people in 87 or so uh 86 87 something like that um when i worked at the little convenience store in my hometown and then i was a manager of a million dollar location by the time i was 21 uh so i've been hiring people for a long time long time <laughs> um and, uh, you know, I think back and then I was in the music retail industry. And for the folks that are listening to the podcast, I'm talking about, you know, when you had to drive to the store and buy music on a cassette or LP or CD. Uh, I managed the music retail for a long, long time and was a district manager. Anyway, my point is I was in retail and been hiring for a long time. And my wife now uh, works for a major retailer. Uh, and has, has been there for a long time. And, and so I compare the past when I was in retail management compared to my wife today being in management and retail and some of the shit she tells me that employees get away with. Uh, I'm, I'm like, what? Uh, and now I'll just give you one example and then I'll, then I'll let you, you <laughs> tell me about the differences between no, the old days and now. She tells me that she'll, she'll be like, yeah, you know, they can, they can do what's called these no call, no shows, no call, no show. I never knew what that term meant, by the way, until she explained it to me. This is where somebody doesn't show up for the shift, doesn't call, and then just comes back to work like two days later, like they still work there, like nothing's wrong. Anyway, they can do these no call, no shows, like three of them or whatever, before they even get written up. And my wife's telling me this. And I'm listening. I'm going, what are you talking about? When I was a manager in the early nineties, if you didn't show up for your shift and you didn't call me, you didn't work there anymore. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yep. how, how's it, um, 
do, do you feel that shift yourself as, as a, as a manager, you know, back then compared to now and how did we get there? Oh, uh, wow. Well, <laughs> I, I don't think that's a podcast. I think that's a book, Steve. <laughs> Um, but, but I wholeheartedly agree with you. You know, my, I cut my teeth in, in the hotel business and the hotel business was similar to retail in the sense. You had a lot of young people, mostly single. Um, and, uh, they were, they were in their first jobs, right? Their first one, two or three jobs getting experience. And, um, and you're right. We had very strict policies around attendance and, uh, dress and what you could wear and not wear. Um, and if you, you know, cursed out or cussed out a customer, you were gone. You know, <laughs> you, yeah. It, you, you didn't get three strikes. It wasn't no. three strikes and you're out. It was one strike and you're out. And yeah, the no call, no show. We called that job abandonment. That's what we right. called it. Right. Right. That's what we called it. And so, um, you know, and it's, I, at the risk of sounding just, terribly old, right? It's kids today, <laughs> right? It's kids today. And, you know, I can remember, you know, my parents' generation talking about kids today when I was the kid, right? And uh, True. I, I just think it's different. It, um, certainly the labor market's different as well, Steve. I mean, the scarcity of talent uh, that are, are willing to do that work at, at an entry-level wage rate, mm. um, you know, uh, we, if you go back to candidate differentiation, if you showed up all the time, every time you were scheduled mm -hmm. and or you called your manager every single time you weren't going to be there, mm -hmm. that can be differentiating. Today, that feels like high performing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and back when you and I, you know, were growing up and we were cutting our teeth with our first jobs, it was called keeping a job because you. Yeah. But, but, but today, and then I grew up in small towns, so it's a little, I don't know if you did as well, but there wasn't the next job and the next job and the next job. True. Right. I mean, within a one mile radius of where I live today, if, if I no call, no showed at one place and I had to go to the next place, there's probably a dozen of those, dozen of those places within a one mile radius of where I live. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that wasn't the case, you know, back in the day with me for certain. And so uh, to some extent, the, the labor landscape has enabled or allowed some of that kind of behavior that would never have been allotted for before um, you can get away with today. Now, see, that's a great explanation that I hadn't thought of. All this time, I've just been blaming HR departments for writing these loose policies, <laughs> these, these crazy policies. I mean, it's like, what the hell is HR doing to this situation here? But, you know, that's a great point, Ed. Thanks for setting me a little more straight there. You're probably right. Yeah. I, you know, some of these big retailers, they're just thinking, can, can you guys just please keep people on staff? Like, unless, unless, the employee shoots somebody, don't fire them because we need everybody we can get mentality. Uh, I guess you're probably right. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of it. So it's, it's probably not just because we're, we're trying to create this. I don't know what uh, this, this babysitter world where we're letting people get away with murder. It's probably more about just keeping bodies on the floor. Good point. Yeah. Well, and I would add just one more thing because, uh, 
I don't think the legal landscape has changed. And if anything, the legal landscape may have made it worse. Mm. You know, mm. uh, Steve, Steve doesn't come in, come into work today and I, and I terminate him and I fire him, mm-hmm. you know, and Steve says, well, the only reason he didn't come to work was because he was being harassed or <laughs> because he had skin of a different color or yeah, you know, his sexual orientation, whatever. I mean, he can claim anything. And, right. and even if it's a totally, fa- uh, you know, baseless argument, mm-hmm. What are the legal costs associated with defending that? Right. So that's the other thing. Yep. You're right. So, you're right. and so, you know, again, I, I don't, I don't think it, it validates the reasons why it should be that way, but I, but I, I don't think the le- the legal landscape has helped matters. Agreed. Yeah. I don't want people's heads to pop off their shoulders or anything, but when I was a manager at 22 years old, I could fire people at will at the convenience store I was at and I didn't have to call anybody. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, you know, um, because I've been doing uh, global HR, you know, the the thought or idea of at will employment outside of the United States is unheard of. Everything is everything is contracts of employment. Um, And the first win that that people outside the U.S. get of at will and they think, oh, so that means you can fire anybody at any time for any reason. That's what the law says. And you say, well, but that law is kind of like Swiss cheese too. Um, <laughs> right. It, it, in practice, it doesn't really play out that way. I rode with this guy on the airplane one time. Uh, I think he was, from, I think he worked in France. I can't remember what, con- what country he was from. Uh, but he was just telling me, he's like, bro, he's like, once, you, once they come to work for us, I, I literally can't fire them unless they're like a terrorist or something. They're, they're, they're literally there for life. Like it, plus they have like 12 weeks of vacation and two hour lunch break and this and that. He's like, it's crazy over here what they can get away with. And I don't know, it feels like we're edging more that way, but I just, I hear some of these things where the employees are getting away with murder. And by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not an employee advocate because I do want great places healthy places for people to work. I think all of that is critical, but as a business owner, and once you become a business owner, you do see things a little bit differently when you're an entrepreneur and you have your own business. And then you're watching Johnny or Sally take advantage of the situation, uh, you know, and, uh, and you, and you, you know, you see it a little bit, a little bit differently. And I agree. We're, we're moving more towards, uh, you know, contracts of employment and that sort of thing. But it is the United States of America in the, in the, on the global marketplace is still the wild, wild west. That's uh, crazy we, to think about. <laughs> that's right. Because if, if you have a U.S. perspective, you're certainly seeing it trending more towards a, a legal and mandated environment instead of, instead of the other way. But we're still the wild, wild west relative to the rest of the world. So worked for this greenhouse outfit one time uh, where there were uh, lots of entry-level folks out in this uh, giant greenhouse uh, working bedding plants. And the owner, he was an old school guy. He was probably 75 years old. And this was in the 2000s now. So I'm speeding up my my time when when there were a little more, you know, a little more strict guidance around certain HR things you're supposed to follow. 
man, he would just walk through the greenhouse. He would see somebody goofing off and he'd just be like, Hey, you get your shit and get out. I mean, he would just fire people just right on the, there was no, there was no write up. There was no HR. There was none of that. It was like, Hey, go up and see Johnny. He'll give you the last check. <laughs> yeah. I, I always used to think to myself, man, those were the days where you could just get rid of <laughs> bad employees. Yeah. Uh, it, I put, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that uh, when you started saying the good old days, it's again, another sign of your age. I know <laughs> I had a, somebody, I put out a podcast tip on this topic one time and some, I'm guessing it was a millennial uh, not to pick on the millennials. I don't want hate mail from all the millennials. <laughs> Well, the millennials was like, you're the, you're the reason you're, you're one of those old school reasons in, in, in the scars of mean bosses from the past. And I was like, no, I just want employees to show up and do the work they're getting paid for. <laughs> that sounds awful harsh to me, Steve. Oh man, just show up <laughs> on time, show up when you're supposed to. And by the way, for the listeners, last thing on this topic, back when, like you said, when me and you were managers, you considered it job abandonment, right? If you were scheduled and you didn't show and you didn't call job abandonment, you're fired. Just as a reminder, folks, we didn't have cell phones back then and you were still expected to call. <laughs> These days, people don't call and don't show up and they all have a phone <laughs> and they could have called. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, the number of ways you can connect with your manager, it's unheard of today. It's unheard yeah, seriously. of. Seriously, seriously. If you're the type of candidate that does that, please don't apply at Ryder Flex. We don't, we don't, you know, call no show people. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so talk to us uh, real quick about how to get a hold of Ed, how to communicate with Ed, share some uh, emails, LinkedIn, whatever you want to do there on how they can contact you, especially um, as it relates to, you know, they need an HR professional, uh, they need help, they need, you know, some advisory stuff, whatever. Talk to them about how to get a hold of you. Yeah. So, you know, I would certainly make myself available to any business that, you know, just wants to better understand what's happening in their, in their business from an HR perspective and looking for some guidance and some expertise. You know, what, what do you need in your business from an HR perspective? And also what don't you need? Because there are some things that, you know, get, pushed or that 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 c-suites feels like they need or because they've been told they have to have it and they don't um and i won't go into those examples but uh but i want to make myself available to certainly business leaders and and owners etc that are interested i also would want to make myself available to any candidate um if if they you know want to talk to to an hr person about what uh what what is sought after in the marketplace and in any marketplace, they're trying to get someplace, they're trying to get into an organization or into an industry and, and they, they, they want to ask somebody questions about the path and make myself available to that. And, and also just to guide and mentor HR folks. Um, something I've really prided, prided myself on is, um, you know, one of my, one of my most, sought uh, after accomplishments was just being able to help uh, other HR people grow and develop and learn. And, uh, and, and I end up learning a lot myself. So um, long story short, if you want to get a hold of me, um, ed at hropartners.us. 
okay. uh, is my work email address. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm E Baldwin KC. And so, uh, but you can, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter and some of those other uh, platforms, but I would suggest either LinkedIn or email is the, the, the primary ways to get in touch with me. Okay. What Ed really likes is for you to send a LinkedIn connection and then like try to selling, selling something like right <laughs> after the connection. He loves those automated connections where then the sales pitch comes in right after send him a bunch of those. <laughs> yeah. uh, two, two final questions. If you could call the young man coming out of Iowa at the age of 21 and tell him anything now based on what you've learned over the years to anything specific you would share with him, if you could call him, go back in time. Ah, uh, good question. Um, don't take no for an answer. Uh, don't be bashful. I don't, I don't think anybody has ever accused me of being bashful, but I, 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 I looked away from opportunities because it was hard. The road to get there was hard. Um, and don't be dissuaded because there's going to be a lot of people in this world that'll tell you the things you can't do. And, uh, and, and just don't believe them. If, if, if you want it and you want it bad enough, you can make it happen for you. Um, so, so that's one thing that I would say, um, because sometimes I got down on myself or, you know, I, I, I just thought there were certain things that were out of reach and, uh, it, it's just a matter of how bad you want it. So that would be definitely one thing. And, you know, let the world come to you too. Uh, don't feel like, uh, you got to push to make everything happen. Um, you know, if I look back on, on, you know, my professional background and experience, uh, sometimes I push a little hard sometimes. And, and so I know those, those two pieces of advice can kind of run in conflict. Um, but, uh, th those would be a couple of things I would say, you know, it's interesting. I'll, I'll share this, Steve. It's pretty, I think it's a funny story. You know, my dad was a blue collar guy. I, uh, he was, he was always wise words, um, very, very wise words. And, but I was entering into kind of a corporate world that he wasn't familiar with. And my, my first job was at Hyatt Regency, San Francisco. And I was flying out there to, to interview. It was, it was the first time that I'd ever been on a plane. Wow. And so, and the advice that my father gave me is don't steal the towels. <laughs> Pretty good. It's pretty good. No, it, I like you know, he couldn't give me a lot of other advice. <laughs> don't steal the towels. You're going to interview at this hotel. Don't steal the towels. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, good one. And last question. If you could put your core purpose in life right now at this stage into a sentence. Professionally? Yeah. Professionally. Let's try, let's try to do it. Yeah. Professionally leave your, leave your, your beautiful wife and children kind of set that aside for yeah. a second um, professionally, what's your core purpose? At this point, I'm, I'm done chasing titles. I'm done chasing big jobs. I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference with the organization. Um, I want to contribute to where it's going and add value. And so I think it's, to me, it's make a difference, whether that's with people, whether that's with the organization. Um, I, I'm done with the busy work. I'm done doing stuff that at the end of the day isn't material and, and doesn't move the needle for an organization or for a person. So 
I want to invest my time, effort, and energy and meaningful relationships and, and adding value. Isn't it interesting how everybody in their fifties usually answers that way? (laughs) Once we get into our fifties, it's like, okay, you know, I had a couple of big titles. I made some money, a little bit of money. I've had the big salaries, this, that, whatever. Okay. I'm in my mid fifties. Now it better mean something. Cause I'm looking at my clock here on planet earth professionally. And that window is not, you know, it's closing. So I want to create real value and make a difference in people's lives. Isn't it interesting how we, how we shift to that in our fifties? I've noticed that a lot when I talk to people. Well, um, you can speak for yourself, Steve, but when I, when I think about the professional experiences I had that were most satisfying mm. and the ones that were the most shallow, uh, sometimes the most shallow ones and the, the least professionally satisfying were the ones where I had the big title and I was making right. a lot of money, right. uh, but I didn't feel like I was making a difference. And, true. you know, yeah, maybe I didn't make as much in some of those other roles. Uh, I didn't have a big title. I wasn't making a lot of money, but that company exploded or I, I met and developed connections and relationships with people that I still cherish to this day. And that I feel like I learned a tremendous am- amount about. And then you say, well, how important is the paycheck? And then of course, we're both blessed enough that, you know, it, it isn't as much about the paycheck because we we've done well and we've been, we've been fortunate. So, you know, that drives it as well. I, I, I totally get when you're starting out and you got to pay your bills that, yeah. uh, that, the, that the amount of that paycheck means something, but when you get later in life and you got a little more money in your pocket and then, and you're looking back on a longer career, you're, you're, you're going to remember the ones where, you, you did some great things with some people and, and, uh, and made a difference for the organization and for those folks. And how awesome and fun is that, right? Great stuff, Ed. Great stuff, my friend. Thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, uh, I can't thank you enough for having me on, Steve. Um, I think the world of what you and Scott are doing and, uh, if, if I know I made myself available as a resource to, to candidates and uh, firms and organizations, but uh, uh, RiderFlex got a lot of great things going on and I would encourage them to reach out to you as well, especially if they're going to try to sell something. I, you know, you should, you should really email Steve, not, not me. <laughs> I need more of those. Uh, thank you, my friend. We'll catch up for beers pretty soon. All right. That sounds great. Thank you again, Steve. I really appreciate it.